We are still in the farewell discourse in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning of verse 12. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The United Nations estimates that there are over 7.3 billion people in the world today. Every day, 350,000 people are born. That's more than one child born every second. We are scattered over 190 different countries, seven different continents. We are diverse in race, in culture, and in religion. Yet, despite all our diversity, even with it, we all have one thing in common beginning with all of us in this room right here. Every single one of us, whether you believe it or not, we were made in the image of God. We were made in the one true God in his image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And whether you believe in him or not, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And his image has been entrusted to you. Now of all the traits that have been given to us, there is one that encompasses all the rest. One divine trait given to humanity that we might bear his image. And that trait is love. Love. Love, the fundamental, basic principle of what it means to be human. Love in the image of God. It was John who tells us in his letter that God is love. And as people made in the image of God, who is love, we have been called to bear that image in the world around us. In the Gospels, Jesus says that all of the law and all of the prophets depend on one thing. Love. Love God. Love one another. This morning, in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us this commandment. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is commanding you and I to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. And that is weighty. Because the way that he has loved us He laid his life down for us. Now this morning, I'm going to preach a sermon on love, and I have a difficult task ahead of me. Difficult because you and I think we know what love is. We think we have it mastered. We think we have it learned. The reality is we do not have a clue. You see, after the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, The image of God in us was broken. 
When the image of God was broken in us, love was broken with it. And so we have settled on a half-hearted, diminished view of love. A love that is about consumerism rather than covenant. A love that is conditional rather than unconditional. A love that has been emotionalized and romanticized and sexualized until it does not even resemble the original love that had been given to us in the image of God. We need a greater love than that this morning. We desperately need a greater love than that. We need the love of God and his image to be redeemed in us. Why? Because love is the heart of the gospel. Love is the heart of the gospel. And when the world looks upon the church of Jesus Christ and sees the divine love of God, they get a glimpse of who he is and what he has come to do. We are called to love one another in the same way that Jesus loves us for the sake of the gospel. But the only way we can begin to even do that is to first recognize the radical love of Jesus Christ for us. The love of Jesus Christ for us transforms the way we love one another. And it does this in four ways. First, the love of Christ is rooted in sacrifice. Second, the love of Christ is built upon friendship. Third, the love of Christ produces fruit. And fourth, the love of Christ abides. We are called to love one another with a radical, profound love of Jesus Christ. And the first we are called to do this is this. The love of Christ is rooted in sacrifice. Look with me. John 15, verse 12. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. After Christ gives his command that we would love one another, he qualifies it and he says this in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, there is no greater love on the planet than sacrifice, and we all know it. We all recognize it. Great works of literature and film all recognize that sacrifice, sacrifice is the greatest expression of love. From Homer to Dickens, Peter Pan to Superman, Aslan to Harry Potter, Saving Private Ryan to my daughter's favorite, Frozen. Every one of these depicts sacrifice as heroic, sacrifice as love. There is no greater sacrifice that the world has ever known than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because in love, Jesus Christ became incarnate. He took on flesh. In love, Jesus Christ knew our pain and our trials and our weaknesses and our temptations. In love, Jesus purposefully chose Judas as one of the twelve, knowing that he would betray him. In love, Jesus Christ gave himself up to be arrested, to be tried, to be beaten, to be sent to the cross. And love, Jesus Christ laid down his life. He died on the cross for you and for me, and he rose again that we might be saved. 
And so this morning, before I go any further, I must ask you this. Do you know that kind of love? Do you know the love of God for you and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him alone for your salvation? If you have not, not only do you not know love, but you are left in the hatred of sin. Believe in him. Trust in his sacrifice for you and be saved. In his sacrifice, we know love. In his sacrifice alone, we know love. This is what John says in his letter. He says this about Jesus. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. What John is saying is, hey, listen, if you want to know what love is, what love is like truly, then you must look no further than the person of Jesus Christ, who is the love of God incarnate. Jesus Christ, who has been sent to us to lay down his life, John says, as the propitiation of our sins. Now, that word propitiation is important. We can't just blow by it because it's big and theological. We must stop and wonder, what what does John mean by that? Because it means much more than sacrifice. It means atoning sacrifice. Propitiation means that Jesus Christ not only died as our sacrifice, but it also speaks to why. Why did Jesus die for us as our sacrifice? Because left in our sin, you and I deserve the judgment of The wrath of God. Jesus Christ stood in our place. Our substitute. It should have been us who were on the cross that day, but no, it was Christ. Because of love, stood in our place and bore the weight of our sin and the wrath of God. And he took on our punishment so that we might have life. And I want you to know that from start to finish, this was about love. Love from God. You see, God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loved us. And out of that love, he sent his son Jesus to die as our sacrifice. What does that mean for us? How does that transform the way that we love one another? Well, We are called to love sacrificially. Again, John writes in his letter, 1 John 3, verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John says, he's repeating what he said in his gospel right here. We are called to love one another as Christ loved us. How did he love us? Sacrificially. So we are called to love one another with a sacrificial love. We are called to lay down our lives for one another to give up our rights for one another, to not count our interests higher than the other person's interests, to willingly say that other people are even more important than our own agendas. This is hard. This is costly. This is sacrificial. But when we begin to love one another like that, the world begins to see what the image of God and love really looks like. Sacrificial 
laying down your life kind of love. We are called to love one another sacrificially for the sake of Jesus Christ, that the world might see him in us. Not only are we called to love sacrificially, but the love of Christ is also built upon friendship. Look with me at verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now, if there's no greater love than sacrifice, then there is no deeper love than friendship. If you think about it, Jesus has just given his disciples a huge promotion. He says, you have just moved from servants to friends. You have just moved from those who are serving me as a master to now we are on equal plane. We are friends. I wonder what that must have been like. What was it like to be counted as a friend of Jesus Christ? To have walked with him. To have known him. To have been known by him. To have been deeply connected in intimate fellowship with him. What was that like? Christians, I want you to know this morning that if you know Jesus Christ, you are his friend. You have been invited into friendship with Jesus Christ himself. He has counted you as friends, not because of anything that you are, but because of who he is. Now, this is hard for us to grasp. Because in the same way that we misunderstand love, we clearly misunderstand friendship. In a culture that equates friendship with how many likes that you have on your Facebook page, we need to be reminded of the depth of what friendship actually is. And I think the reason why is because we all deep down recognize that friendship is hard, isn't it? It's costly. It takes work. It takes effort. It certainly costs Jesus' life. To count us as friends, it certainly cost the disciples' life to be his friend. And this morning, it will count our lives as well that we would actually see one another as friends. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves put it this way. He said, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest, most fully human of all the loves. The crown of life, the school of virtue. But in today's modern world, in comparison, we ignore it. It is something marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, but a diversion. Something that fills up the chinks of one's time. You see, Lewis believed that of all the kinds of love that there is, friendship was the most divine. Friendship. Why would he believe that? Jesus says, I have called you friends, for I've heard all from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is equating friendship with knowledge, intimacy. That being called friends of Jesus Christ, we know everything. We have been given everything. And not only do we know him, but we are known by him. Not only is this gracious, but this is also scandalous. Scandalous because Jesus Christ has invited a bunch of enemies to his table. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, 
now that we are reconciled, will we be saved by his life? See, Paul is saying that Jesus Christ died for us, and when he did, we were his enemies. It's not enough to just say that we were immoral, we were wrong, we were sinful, but no, we were directly opposed to the will of God. We refused to bow our knee to him to follow his commandments. Rather than bow our knee and see him as king, we made ourselves kings and queens. Every culture all over the world that has a word, it's called treason. It's punishable by death. And as enemies of God, we deserve death. But God, because he loved us, sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place. So that we not only would be saved, but that we would be invited into his table. That he would make us, who used to be enemies, his friends. What does that mean for us? How does that transform the way that we love one another? How could we possibly love like that? Paul didn't always do the right thing. Before Jesus Christ came into his life, Paul himself was a traitor. Not only was he a traitor, but he was a Christian killer. He was a terrorist. And the book of Acts tells us that Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus and blinded him. And after Jesus did that, after he blinded Paul, he went to a man named Ananias, a Christian man. And he goes to Ananias and he tells him, You must restore Paul's sight. Of course, Ananias knows who Paul is. He knows what Paul is capable of. He even knows what Paul has come to Damascus to do, to arrest Christians and put them to death. And so what do you think Ananias says? I want no part of this. I'm not going to let this man into my house, this enemy of mine, this man who threatens my very life, But Jesus tells him, commands him to not only restore his sight, but to pray for him that he might receive the Holy Spirit. And on that day, Ananias lays his hands on his eyes. Paul goes from blindness to sight. Paul becomes a Christian, perhaps the greatest missionary the world's ever known. Friendship in an instant. Paul, who was once an enemy, a traitor, now is a friend. A friend of God and a friend of Ananias. And all is forgiven. This past February, 21 Christians were beheaded by ISIS. Coptic Christians. And when one of these men, one of their brothers, was interviewed, this brother was asked, what do you have to say to ISIS? What do you have to say to them? What would you want them to know about your brother? And this man said, first, I want them to know that I'm thankful that they allowed their testimony of Jesus Christ to be said before they were beheaded. And second, I would want them to know that my mother is inviting them into her home so they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. This is radical friendship. Radical friendship for our enemies. And if we are called to love our enemies like that, then how much more are we called to love one another in the body of Christ? That even despite our differences, despite our views, despite the different ways that we have been brought up, 
We are called to radical love and friendship, that we would walk together, that we would know one another, and that we would point one another to the friendship of Jesus Christ. I've read it before, but it's too good not to read it again. D.A. Carson puts it this way. The church itself is not made of natural friends. It's made of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they've been saved by Jesus Christ, and they owe him a common allegiance. And in this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. See, in his wisdom, God has called all types of people of every past, every race, every culture, every ability into his church. Why? So that the world will look at the church and recognize how deeply loved they truly are. That the gospel works in such powerful ways that a bunch of people who used to hate each other now love one another because of Jesus Christ. It is in this kind of friendship that the image of God, his love is on display in his church. Third, the love of Christ bears fruit. Look with me, verse 16. Jesus says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's love right there. You didn't have the ability to even choose me. And yet I, in love, I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. See, the love of Christ is powerful. It's effectual. It actually transforms us. Jesus says, I chose you. And what I started, I am going to finish. Paul puts it this way, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. At every stage in our sanctification, God is lovingly bearing fruit in us. Producing fruit in us. Restoring the image of God in us. And so it's for that reason that we can't just muster up the strength to just love one another. It must begin with the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit being born in us. Out of God's love for us the cross of Christ. You see, whatever we love and whatever we're loved by always bears fruit. Being so loved by Jesus Christ, it has produced fruit in us. Whatever it is that we love will also bear fruit. If love drives our obedience, love also drives our disobedience as well. If you love sin, you will naturally act upon that sin and sin. If you love Jesus Christ, if that sin has been torn out of you and replaced for a deep love of Jesus Christ, you will act upon that love. St. Augustine put it this way in his confessions. He says, my weight is love, and by it I am carried wherever I am carried. In other words, whatever it is that I love drives what I do. We are not necessarily driven by what we think or even what we do. We are driven by what we love. And everything flows out of that, he would argue. This is what it means to bear the fruit of love. That it actually transforms us 
So much so that we actually seek the transformation of others around us. Let me show you what I mean. The Atlantic recently ran a story about a Frenchman named Jean Vanier. And Vanier left the Navy back in the 60s, and he almost drowned. And so, kind of at the end of himself, he decided to move to Paris to try to figure out the meaning of life. And while he was there, a priest took him to go tour a mental institution. And at this mental institution, there were 80 people living in a home that was meant for 40. They were subjected to great hatred and great violence. Vanier was so moved upon seeing this that he went, he bought a house, and he invited two of these mentally disabled people to live with him. And out of that, he birthed a movement, established a foundation that invited mentally disabled people to live with the mentally able, to give them dignity, to give them worth, to give them value. See, I think Vanier knew something about love. This is what he said. He said, the whole thing about human beings is to learn to love. Now, love is not to do things for people, he says. It's not to tell people what to do. Love is to reveal. What do we reveal? You're important. I think Vanier recognized that to love another person is to restore the image of God in them, to give them dignity, to give them value, to give them worth, to recognize that they have been made in God's image and they need Jesus Christ to restore that image as much as anybody else. So what does that mean for us? It means we need to love one another with a deep, abiding love that is only found in Jesus Christ. The fourth way, the love of Christ transforms us, the love of Christ abides. Look with me, verse 17. Finally, Jesus says, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Notice he's not just repeating this command to love one another. No, he says, These things I command you, so that you necessarily, you will love one another. In other words, there is some command that Jesus has given us that if we would just obey that, then we would love one another. Well, what is that command? Just a few verses earlier, Jesus gives us this command. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So here is his command for you this morning. Jesus is commanding you, abide in my love. He's commanding you, be loved by me. Don't seek the love of something else. Be loved by me. Allow my abiding love in you to transform you. So this morning I ask you, where do you abide? Whose love are you working for? Whose love are you after? Whose love are you pining for? Love of yourself, maybe. Love of another person or love of just people in general. Love of success. Whatever it is that you are loving and wanting so badly for it to love you, you will work tirelessly to earn that love. And it will run you into the ground. Jesus is commanding you, abide in my love. Be loved by me. Abide. Abide 
Abide in the amazing love of Jesus Christ. And out of that love, you will love one another. And so this morning, abide in the sacrifice of Christ. And you will live sacrificially. Abide in his friendship and live as friends with one another. Abide in his fruit and seek the image of God in one another. Abide in the amazing love of Jesus Christ who laid his life down for you and radically begin to love one another so that the world might look upon you and me and see the image of God, that he loves them so much that he sent his only son into the world that whoever believes in him might be saved. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you've given us your word and we are in desperate need this morning to have a new, a redeemed understanding of love. And I pray, God, that you enable us to abide in the love of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we abide in his love, that we would be changed and that we would love one another. May the world look upon your church and see this love, to see the gospel on display. And may they believe, we ask in the strong name of Jesus Christ, Amen.